Hi, and welcome to this audio edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. On this program, we discuss polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism from a biblical Christian perspective. We talk about the history of polygamy, its modern-day fruit, share stories from people who have escaped polygamy, and talk about current events relating to polygamy. You can learn more about the video edition of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. And now, here's Doris. Welcome to our show tonight. This is Polygamy, What Love Is This? And I am your host, Doris Hansen. And we are here every Thursday night to bring information about early Mormon doctrine from Joseph Smith and from other early Mormon leaders and compare it with the teachings in the Bible. Before we get started, however, we have an announcement that we need to make. The Utah County Outreach for those who are transitioning uh, from their Mormon faith into Christianity will not be holding an April meeting this month, but encourages everyone to attend the annual Capstone Conference instead. Now, if you know someone who's questioning their Mormon beliefs, whether from polygamy or another faction of Mormonism, this is an excellent opportunity for them to receive information on the only true biblical Jesus Christ versus Mormonism. And if you'd like more information, you can call 801-374-8489 for information on the Utah County Outreach. Now, the Capstone Conference itself uh, begins tomorrow and goes through Saturday. It starts Friday, tomorrow night at 6.30 p.m. until 9 p.m., and a Saturday from 8.30 a.m. till 5 p.m. And it will be held at Calvary Chapel, 460 West Century Drive, and that's 4350 South. And of course, you can go to capstoneconference.com for more information. Uh, And we will be there, Earl and I will both be there uh, to talk with people who want to come and visit with us and say hello or even make new friends. And tonight with our co-host guest, Earl Erskine, we're going to look at some of the very odd and certainly strange unbiblical teachings and quotes from early Mormon teachers, most of who were polygamous, who claim, like Joseph Smith did, that they were God's mouthpiece. So, thank you for coming again, My pleasure. Earl. I'm happy to be here. And just as a thing on the capstone, I really encourage people to participate in that. Come and visit and come and visit us and, mm-hmm. and hear the good messages that are there. So, right, and yeah. there are some excellent speakers yeah. and some excellent messages that yeah. always is. Yeah. Always is. So, I agree. Come on down. You know, it's proving doubtful that many people in this seemingly tolerant society actually believe that doctrine even matters anymore. People have fallen for the devil's lying question that asks, did God really say that? And then they proceed to deny all the solid doctrine which God really did say. Truth and doctrine and belief and eternity all matter. James in the Bible tells us that our lives are just a mere breath compared with eternity. We may live the good life now, but what about eternity? Any of us could be in eternity with no prior notification. In just a split second, we can be gone from here and into eternity. And, and you know, people in this life, they will save and they'll plan for retirement. They'll make plans and, and, and make sure they're prepared for a retirement. But they don't seem to care about eternity. No. They, they just don't, don't. But that's going to be a lot longer time. And we're all going to be there someday. Yeah. But where in eternity will you be? The doctrine that we embrace here on this earth will affect our eternity, our, our eternal destination. 
And you know what? God cares about doctrine. That's why he authored the Bible, to give the world his truth. If the Bible, in the Bible, he gave us the standard for sound doctrine and right living as we prepare for eternity. <clears throat> Just any old doctrine will not do. Now, anyone who takes his teachings in the Bible and adds to it or takes away from it or edits biblical doctrine is creating eternal suicide. If you read the Bible and you don't believe it, or if you don't want to believe some or part of it, you are ignoring God's own words to you. You are attacking God's integrity. And in essence, you're telling God that you know more than he does. And that's a dangerous place to put yourself. God warned us about sound doctrine, so it must be important to him. And we have several verses that we want to begin the show tonight to, to show and confirm the importance of doctrine. First Timothy. Yeah, these are letters that uh, Paul wrote to Timothy, the first and second one, some of them. Anyway, the first one is First Timothy 1, 3 through 4. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain men not to teach false doctrines any longer, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. These promote controversies rather than God's work, which is by faith. So we have sound doctrine, yeah. urging people to teach what is sound doctrine. Notice it says myths yeah. and endless genealogies are forbidden. <laughs> and yet that's that. the culture we're in, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. First yes. Timothy 6 verses 3 and 4 says, if anyone teaches false doctrines and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, he is conceited and understands nothing. So those who are teaching, that goes clear back to the beginning yeah. of Mormonism, who teach these unsound doctrine, uh, God says he's conceited and he really doesn't understand a thing. He might think he understands a lot, but he really doesn't understand yeah. what's true. First yeah. Timothy. First Timothy 6.20, it says, Turn away from god godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge. Okay. And Second Timothy 4.3 says, For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Whoa. So, That's false doctrine. Interesting after conference to read some of these. <laughs> yeah, well, it really it is. You're, yeah. you're right, Earl. It really is. There, at least my impression of conference, what, what I watched was uh, very little doctrine, a lot of feel-good stories, mm -hmm. but not a lot of depth, not yeah. a lot of nothing, not yeah. a lot of Christ. And it says they will gather around them a great number of teachers to hear what their itching ears want to yeah. hear. The makes people, them feel good. Right, makes yeah. them feel good. And and yeah. the the doctrine, you know, when, when Jesus came and, and John the Baptist came, they said, repent, you brood of vipers, you know, who's going <laughs> who's gonna to keep you from going into hell? Well, that they don't like to hear that kind no. of stuff. No, but they do really. like to hear all this fuzzy-wuzzy stuff. <laughs> and then in Titus uh, chapter 1, verse 9, it says, he must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. And we get criticized frequently for yes. refuting <laughs> people who oppose the, the biblical doctrine, but this tells us to do it. Yeah. Tells us to refute it. And almost everyone that's come along has changed the Bible mm -hmm. in one way or another. So added to it and as you've said, added and subtracted from it. Right. 
and then Titus the, again. The last one of Titus 2.1 says, you must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Now, when, when uh, Paul was writing these letters, he was writing to Titus and Timothy, who were both young pastors, and yeah. they, he was telling them and instructing them how to pastor the congregations, the people, the churches that they were going to uh, be in charge of the people. So that was his instructions to teach sound doctrines, what to do, what not to do. So tonight we're going to look at some strange <laughs> and very unsound doctrinal teachings that people taught and believed, not just from Joseph Smith, but other early Mormon leaders finding out if it's sound doctrine, and challenge all of our viewers to study out their Bible for guidance and to answer the question, was Joseph Smith a true prophet after all? Did he lay the foundation for the gospel, or did Jesus lay the foundation of his gospel, which did not include the, the painful practice of polygamy? So the first bad doctrine that we're going to take a look at comes from Joseph Smith's claims about his first, uh, or alleged, I should say, first vision. Yeah, this one is repeated many times. I was answered that I must join none of them, Christian churches, for they were all wrong, and the personage who addressed me said that all their creeds were an abomination in his sight, that those professors were all corrupt. Now, this is in the Pearl of Great Price. Yep. It's part of the standard works. Yep. It sure is. Joseph Smith claimed that God the Father and Jesus told him that all churches were an abomination and to join no, none of them. And so we cannot help but wonder why, a few years later, he tried to join the Methodist Church in June of 1828. Yeah. And this is reported in the Amboy Journal of Amboy, Illinois. And it's also in the Methodist Church. He tried to join in several of their publications. And you know what? The interesting part about all that is they wouldn't have him. No. They wouldn't have Joseph Smith because he was involved in occultic practices that God prohibits and he refused to give them up. And so they told him that he couldn't join their church until he was ready to obey God's word, and that never happened. Now, we receive emails and phone calls accusing us of hatred because we talk negative about Mormonism. First of all, our show is against all false doctrine, and we target polygamy doctrine first and foremost. The problem is that so much of Mormon doctrine also is polygamous doctrine. But honestly, we are also merely defending ourselves from Joseph Smith's attacks on Christianity when he said, quote, All our creeds, that's Christian creeds, are an abomination in his sight that all those who profess Christianity are corrupt, end quote. So it was Joseph Smith who first declared war on us, on all other churches and all other religions, especially the Christian church. Yeah. They have always taught that the Mormon church is the only true church on the planet. The Book of Mormon says there are only two churches. One is God church and the other are all of the devil. Now that's nice, isn't it? That's not bashing. <laughs> it's, it's actually so inbred in us as Mormons that, um, and I imagine polygamous as well. Oh that, yes. That looking at a church with a cross on it 
is uh, a negative to think that a pastor might receive contributions from the membership, yeah. uh, be paid clergy, yeah. is so negative in Mormon, uh, in and both so, polygamy and So and twisted from yeah. what the Bible teaches yeah. as well. And so we wonder why aren't these statements that, that Joseph Smith himself made to start the church, yeah. why aren't they considered bashing someone else's beliefs? Joseph Smith accused all churches as being Satan's church. Well, then you've got 80,000 missionaries out there telling everybody the that there's thing. the only true church. Right, uh -huh. yeah. And their temple ceremony for decades and decades and decades yeah. bashed and mocked Christian doctrine and Christian pastors. And if people will really look this stuff up, they'll find out that this is all true. Mm -hmm. so, right. Well, what yeah. about First Nephi 14.10? Okay. Let's put that on the out screen. Out of the Book of Mormon. And it says, And he said unto me, Behold, there are saved two churches only. The one is the church of the Lamb of God, and the other is the church of the devil. Wherefore, whoso belongeth not to the church of the Lamb of God belongeth to that great church, which is the mother of abominations, and she is the whore of all the earth. So according to this passage, yeah. every church on the planet is considered by Mormonism to be a church of the devil, an abomination, and a whore. Have we ever said that about them on our show? No, I've never used those words. We've no. never, uh, we've never referred to them no. on this. We've referred to them as being blinded and following false prophets, but we've never called them these names. No Christian doctrine. What's interesting here is no Christian doctrine has changed since Joseph Smith created that dogma. True, true Christian churches teach the same biblical doctrine today as they did in 1820, and now Mormons want to be part of the same Christianity that Joseph Smith condemned in 1820. And furthermore, to prove the hypocrisy in all this, the doctrines of Mormonism, the alleged only true church, has changed. Almost every one of them. Uh, and the Book of Mormon, the doctor, mm -hmm. the Book of Commandments, the Lectures of Faith, everything has changed. They've, yeah. they've changed and we are accused of bashing. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? It's interesting. One of the most abusive doctrines is Joseph Smith bringing polygamy into the Mormon experience. Let's look at polygamy versus monogamy in early Mormon doctrine. Now the Book of Mormon teaches monogamy and describes polygamy as whoredom. Joseph Smith liked that word, didn't he? Yeah, I think so. Abomination, sin, and wickedness, and a few other choice names. We'll read from Mosiah chapter 11, verse 2. Yeah, it says, For behold, he did not keep the commandments of God, but he did walk after the desires of his own heart, and he had many wives and concubines. And he did cause his people to commit sin and do that which was abominable in the sight of the Lord, yea, and they did commit whoredoms and all manner of wickedness. So in these verses, polygamy is called committing sin, yep. abominable in the sight of God, whoredoms, and all manner of wickedness. That's the description of polygamy in Mosiah 11.2. So the Book of Mormon is about monogamy, and so was the Doctrine and Covenants before section 32. In 1835, uh, section, uh, in the 1835 Doctrine and Covenants, section 101, verse 4, talks about monogamy. And by the way, most Mormons do not know that there was a section 101 that has been taken out. Yeah, it's of, been removed. You won't, they won't find it in today's no, Doctrine and Covenants. No, it's not in the current one, but, but it, it was in the 1835. And it says, inasmuch as this Church of Christ, not the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, right. <laughs> has been reproached with the crime of fornication and polygamy, we declare that we believe 
that one man should have one wife and one woman but one husband, except that in the event of death when he when either is at liberty to marry again. Now this is also in History of the Church, yep. Volume 2. Yep. Now notice Joseph Smith broke those. He, he married women with other husbands and he married um, um, multiple wives himself. So yeah. he broke both of these commands. So the Book of Mormon condemned polygamy. Well. The Doctrine and Covenants commanded monogamy, but then they later condemned monogamy and commanded polygamy. In a bold contradiction to himself, Joseph Smith received the revelation of plural marriage as a new and everlasting covenant which could not be rejected without the penalty of damnation. Section 132. Read some verses yeah, from these that. Are, now this is still in the current <laughs> Book of uh, Doctrine and Covenants. It says, Therefore prepare thy heart to receive and obey the instructions which I am about to give unto you for all those who have this law revealed unto them must obey the same. This is the law of celestial marriage or polygamy. Mm -hmm. For behold, I reveal unto you a new and everlasting covenant, and if ye abide not that covenant, then are ye damned. For no one can reject this covenant and be permitted to enter into my glory. And as pertaining to the new and everlasting covenant, it was instituted for the fullness of my glory, and he that receiveth a fullness thereof must and shall abide the law, or he shall be damned, saith the Lord God. Woo, hmm. That's pretty strong language, it's isn't it? It's almost interesting how the mainstream LDS church isn't living polygamy with this kind of a command. Right. You know. Absolutely. But regardless of the law of the land, they're they're cl they're they're claiming now that it's not referring to polygamy, but it definitely was yeah. referring to polygamy at the time Joseph Smith said he received that revelation. Yeah. Now I know the mainline church sees this as temple marriage or celestial marriage, yeah. but Joseph Smith called polygamy celestial marriage. And all the early Mormons called polygamy celestial marriage. If you go back in your history and read it, you'll discover that's true. So when this section 132 was written, it was referring to plural marriage and nothing else. They changed their dogmatic doctrine of monogamy into polygamy, and then they began to call monogamy a degenerate practice. Yeah, this is from John Taylor in the Millennial Star, just shocking. <laughs> the one wife system not only degenerates the human family, both physically and intellectually, but it is entirely incompatible with philosophical notions of immortality. It is a lure to temptation and has always proved a curse to a people. Whoa, now this is President John Taylor, president yeah. of the church, yeah. and he's saying monogamy is a curse to the people. Remember, Doctor and Covenant said monogamy was the only way to go, and yeah. so did the Book of Mormon. So does the Book of Mormon. And this is from Brigham Young in the Desert News in 1862. This and I'm not sure how to say this word, monogamic mm, order <laughs> of marriage, so esteemed by modern Christians is nothing but a system established by a set of robbers. Why do we believe in and practice polygamy? Because the Lord introduced it to his servants in a revelation given to Joseph Smith, and the Lord's servants have always practiced it. Now notice here Brigham Young said that polygamy was introduced by revelation from Joseph Smith. That's yeah. section 132. Yeah. It, that section 132 is not temple marriage, it is polygamy. And what's interesting too is that here you've got a prophet of God. If we were living in, in Brigham Young's days, he would be our prophet uh -huh. standing there declaring that we have to live this law of polygamy. Right, or be and damned. yet now, a few 
decades later, we're, we've totally dismissed what Brigham Young. In fact, with some other issues, Brigham Young is is really taking quite a rap for his stand on yeah, lots of things. He's the fall but guy he's a for prophet. Of it. Right, yeah. he was their prophet. And of course, the, the, the polygamists themselves, that's why they're called fundamentalists, they hang on to all that original yeah, stuff. all that original stuff. All right, so yeah. I have all, the, all of it. And then, of course, we have Orson Pratt. Oh my, what a man he was. In Journal of Discourses, Volume 13, Orson Pratt said, this law of monogamy, or the monogamic system, laid the foundation for prostitution and the <laughs> evils and diseases of the most revolting nature and character under which modern Christendom groans. <laughs> What's his basis for that is a good question. You know, monogamy was established by God himself. So they're just putting God down in all of these statements. And in no way is the cause of prostitution, evils, and diseases. In fact, the very opposite is true. The Bible tells us that because of sexual immorality, we are supposed to live monogamy. 1 Corinthians 7.2 Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. Now that's pretty simple. Pretty to simple. avoid all of these prostitutions and whoredoms and things yeah. that these men said, monogamy is the only way to go. Anything outside of monogamy is fornication. Polygamy is a means to exaltation, and monogamy as the reason for evil and disease is a corrupt teaching of the early Mormon church and of today's Mormon polygamists. The character of Joseph Smith is highly suspicious, and his integrity absolutely shattered, despite how whitewashed others have desperately presented him. For instance, yes. Brigham Young said about Joseph Smith. In the Journal of Discourses, which also has been discounted quite heavily by <laughs> mainstream and probably polygamists, we'll now examine the character of the Savior and examine the characters of those who have written the Old and New Testaments and then compare them with the character of Joseph Smith. And you will find that his character stands as fair as any man's mentioned in the Bible. We can find no person who presents a better character to the world when the facts are known than Joseph Smith Jr., the prophet and his brother Hiram Smith who was murdered with him. So he's placing Joseph Smith higher than Jesus. Well, Joseph did that himself as well. He did that when too. When he boasted that he could do, did a better job than even Jesus. Mm -hmm. So yeah. yeah. So how? So I guess he was just following along his prophet. How does he get by with that is a good question. Why yeah. people can believe that, it just it boggles my mind. Joseph Smith's character is proven by his actions. And as Joseph Smith uh, pursued more and more plural wives, he needed excuses or reasonings of explanations of why he, was, he, he needed to justify proposing plural marriage to multiple women. Joseph Smith taught that, and I quote, something wrong in one circumstance can be right in another circumstance. So Joseph, that lays the foundation for his proposals to these women. And Joseph Smith wanted Sidney Rigdon's daughter, and he, he approached her, 19-year-old Nancy Rigdon, in April of 1842 and proposed plural marriage to her. Never mind that he already had almost a dozen wives, but Nancy refused him. And she said she only wanted to marry a single man. Well, the next day, Joseph Smith, trying to bypass her moral integrity, wrote her a letter which in part said this. That which is wrong under one circumstance may be and often is right under another. 
whatever God requires is right, no matter what it is, although we may not see the reason thereof. I think Whoa. she was supposed to destroy this letter, wasn't she? I think so, and she, <laughs> and she, she had it, it printed. Yeah. She printed it just to, to show what it. kind of a character Joseph Smith was. But look what they're doing to God here. If, if, if it's right under this, it can be wrong under this circumstances. And if I say God required it, it's right. Yeah. He's saying God required polygamy. But you know what? God requires monogamy. The Bible's very clear yeah. about that. And so he is he's ruining the integrity of God by yeah. saying this and trying to ruin Nancy's integrity. And to her credit, uh, Nancy Rigdon remained unconvinced and continued to refuse Joseph Smith's advances. But, jo but in this, Joseph Smith actually made God the source or, or declared oh, God to be the source of situational ethics, yeah. which is basically not true. Just no. what's good for you is not good for me, but that's okay because something's good for me is not good for you. And it's just nonsense. And, and including his uh, threat to Emma if she didn't accept the wives or women yep. that he had already taken, that she'd be destroyed, she would be all destroyed, all in the name of God. All in the name of God, yeah. and it puts fear in them. And there's inherent fear, I think we're going to be talking about that a little later, inherent fear in the Mormonism religion because of things like this. And because of this and other sexual freedoms in which Joseph Smith indulged, that Sidney Rigdon was aware of, it developed a disgust in him against Joseph Smith and against his close associates who secretly practiced polygamy but publicly denied it. Sidney Rigdon sent a letter in 1844 to the Messenger and Advocate paper, and this is what he wrote. Yeah, it is a fact so well known that the Twelve and their adherents have endeavored to carry on this spiritual wife business and have gone to the most shameful and desperate lengths to keep from the public, first insulting innocent females, and when they resented the insult, these monsters in human shape would assail their characters by lying and perjuries with a multitude of desperate men to help them effect the ruin of those whom they insulted and all this to enable them to keep these corrupt practices from the world. Wow. Yeah. He told it like it was. The yeah. truth was starting to come out even after his death. Yeah, and there were several that left the church. And you know, I always thought that these were people that just didn't have good, strong testimonies. Yeah. But for them to see the practice of polygamy hidden and, and what Joseph Smith was doing, um, you'd certainly want to question whether this well, was from hope, God or not. I hope they would question it. And you know, in the King Follett Discourse, Joseph Smith says, nobody has ever run from me yet. Uh, people ran from Jesus, people ran from the apostles, but no one has run from, run me, from yet. me yet. And yet people were leaving uh, yeah. by the droves because of his actions and, and these yeah. illegal things he was doing. But he didn't admit <laughs> to that. So, does God see something bad as something good, depending upon the situation, as Joseph Smith claimed? No. In Numbers 23, <laughs> 19, it said, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. And in Luke 16, 15, it says, He said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of men, but God knows your hearts. What is highly valued among men is detestable, in God's sight. So Jesus, <laughs> Jesus, this is Jesus speaking, and yeah. he's saying, you can look all nice and pretty in the front, whitewashed as it were, yeah. but God knows what's in that dirty heart of yours, yeah. and it's detestable to him, because he can see that heart. 
And that's what he's talking about, the kind of thing that Joseph Smith was involved in. Joseph Smith taught that taking another woman in plural marriage was a holy and honorable thing to do. God, But God had said that a man and a woman were to be faithful to each other, just as we need to forsake all else and cling to God. The married couple are to forsake all else and cling to each other. Jesus said there are only two in a marriage. God does not see marriage in any other light, nor give approval in any other circumstances. Now, we have another bad doctrine. <laughs> And it yeah, looks this like is a good one. <laughs> this is a good one. And we're going to have to pick that up after the break uh, because it is time to break and open up the telephone lines. Um, our telephone number is 801 973 8820 TV20. And uh, if you want to call in and, and ask a question or add to our conversation, you're welcome to do so. Remember, we do require a two way conversation or we will disconnect you. And uh, as we're waiting for the calls to come in and preparing for this next bad doctrine, we do have a break here and a message to give you. You are watching Polygamy, What Love Is This? Broadcasting live from Salt Lake City, Utah. This program is the broadcast outreach of A Shield and Refuge Ministry. Shield and Refuge is a point of first contact for Mormon fundamentalists who question the doctrines of the religion or who are actively seeking for an opportunity to escape the polygamist lifestyle. Examining the claims of fundamentalist doctrine against the backdrop of biblical truth is central to our efforts. We invite you to contact us. Call toll-free at 877-425-9993 or email us at TV at aboutpolygamy.com. We want you to know that we have made available to you some outstanding resources free of charge. You will find them at our website, www.whatloveisthis.tv. There you will find the DVD, Lifting the Veil of Polygamy, which documents the real life stories told firsthand of those who were lifted out of the culture of polygamy through the power and love of Jesus Christ. Also, free of charge to you is the booklet, Is Polygamy Biblical? It explores plural marriage in the context of God's Word and answers questions like, Did God ever command polygamy? Is it part of God's plan? While you are at our website, make sure to take advantage of the archived episodes of this program, which can stream on demand directly to your computer. There are more than 100 shows to choose from. And if someone you know is unable to view this program via live broadcast, Recommend that they visit this same website every Thursday at 8 p.m. Mountain Time to watch this show through live streaming video. Simply follow the links to the live streaming video page. If you are watching live tonight, we invite you to call us as we open our phone lines. The number is 801-973-TV20. That's 801-973-8820. Now... Back to Polygamy, What Love Is This? with our host, Doris Hansen. Welcome back to our show tonight, Polygamy, What Love Is This? We're here with uh, co-host Earl Erskine talking about and discussing some of the odd and strange <laughs> teachings of early Mormonism. And I'd like to mention uh, at this point, I think is a good time to discuss that many of the leaders of these different groups and also of the mainline church are saying, well, what happened way back then doesn't matter. What happens now? What I happens being that. taught yeah. now? Yeah. And yet Jesus said, 
a bad root <laughs> cannot produce a good tree. A, yeah. If a tree has a bad root, it's a bad tree yeah. and bad fruit. And so the foundation does count. Well, it does, and and that's why even things that Brigham Young said, and I, I know they're off the wall, they're crazy kinds of things. Orson Pratt and Parley P. Pratt and Orson Hyde and some of these, John Taylor and all these people that said, uh, but they were apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ, presumably. Supposed to be, yeah. And prophets of God, and, and yet, and then you also wonder, well, what President Elder Packer and President Monson are saying today, what will we think of them in? 20 or 30 years. And that's, and that's Bruce R. McConkie, how he's been kind and of. And you know, we talked about this earlier. Bruce McConkie is held on to very strongly by the polygamous groups because he taught the basic doctrine. Is he? And, and they, yeah, they, they believe, except for the fact that polygamy is not to be lived, about, yeah. about everything else. He was very racist. And he talked about, you know, the, the priesthood and all that that <laughs> women can't have and all this kind of stuff. And, and it's just totally uh, held on by them. That's why they're called fundamentalists because they yeah. hang on to the fundamental but, doctrine. But you're absolutely right. What they said really does matter. It does matter. And whether they said it 30, 50 years ago or 100 years ago or if it's being said today, it's, it's well, part of Mormon and, and they claimed and polygamy that, doctrine. They claimed then that they were the only true church. Yeah. They claim now they're the only true church. Yeah. So what was said then as the only true church has to matter today. It has to. Yeah, and if it's changed, then something's wrong because God doesn't change. Right. Yeah. Over 4,000 changes in the Book of Mormon alone. Yeah. And some of them were very significant doctrinal changes. They right. weren't just commas and right. periods and stuff. And so we bring up all of these unsound doctrines because God likes good doctrine and because He commands us to pay attention to good doctrine and to uh, not pay attention to bad doctrine. And another bad doctrine that we're going to talk about now is that a restoration was needed because Christ's true church failed. <laughs> and so we do have a call coming in. We're going to take the call uh, from, from Herman in Provo and then we will start this subject. Herman, you're on the air. Hey, thank you so much for listening to me. You're welcome. What's I have a question. I, you know, I've been talking to you about three or four times a home phone. Uh-huh. And I have a question. I know Bishop Earl says that he watched a conference like I did this weekend. And I'd like to ask him how he felt about that. Everything to me, it was dead. There was nothing there. Even the prophet months when he talked the last, you know, on it. I felt so empty there. There was no spirit. And I just... Yeah, I don't know why people listen to these the conference like that. You know, it's just something. It's not there for me. Herman, when I was a member of the Elders Church. I used to love to listen to them. Herman, are you? I, I'm free from from everything when I listen to these people. They don't make sense. Well, Herman, you bring up some good points, and I'm listening now just to try to understand what it was that kept me so blind for 64 years because I watched those over those many years with intent and w believing that these men were really speaking of God. Now one thing I did observe years ago and even before I came out of Mormonism was I, I kept noticing how bland the messages were. They were feel good but there wasn't a lot of depth and a lot of doctrine but I really believed that they were trying to bring or f provide milk 
to the new converts to the church who would be listening to conference for sure. Mm -hmm. And I just felt like the, the leaders of the church were trying to give them, again, milk or to try to give them just the basic doctrines and so on and make them feel good about mm -hmm. being members of the church. That makes sense. But now I look back on it and I just realized they do not, they're not able, they tell us to defend the truth but they never detail out any of the doctrines. They're not saying defend the Book of Mormon or defend the Book of Abraham or defend polygamy or masonry in the temple. They don't ever ask you to be specific about what you're defending, just defend the faith. And they don't really give a lot of specifics to defend anyway no, because of the, it's just all, they're all over the board. So you're that. right, Herman, it is very uh, bland and there's not a lot of substance in it and certainly not enough about praising God and recognizing Jesus as God. Jesus as God, right, yeah. God the Son. Okay, let's talk about the restoration. Um, Herman might still be on. Um, or maybe not. No, he's gone. Okay. Orson Pratt, let's start out with one of his statements. Oh gosh, this is so fun. <laughs> Jesus made his appearance on the earth in the meridian of time, and he established his kingdom on the earth. But to fulfill ancient prophecies, the Lord suffered that, that kingdom to be uprooted. In other words, the kingdoms of this world made war against the kingdom of God established 18 centuries ago, and they prevailed against it, and the kingdom ceased to exist. Woo! That's Orson, Pratt Orson Pratt lied. <laughs> so are we going to believe what Orson Pratt and Joseph Smith and these other teachers in early Mormonism said, or are we going to believe what Jesus Christ said? Now this is very critical. Listen to what Jesus said and what he promised in Matthew 16, 18. Jesus said, quote, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Orson said they prevailed against it. Yeah. Jesus said it wouldn't happen. Who are we going to believe? This was so significant to me when I had really never considered this when I came out of, of the LDS church. And the other one that kind of caught my eye or ear was where two or three are gathered together, I will be In there. In my name, In yeah, my I'll, name, be, I'll there. be there. Mm -hmm. And I just thought there was never a, an apostasy. There was yeah, always was. a continuation of the church. Oh, God said he'll always have a yeah. remnant. There's a prophecy in Daniel that we're going to bring into this yeah. where, where, where Jesus' words here confirms yeah. the prophecy Daniel in Daniel. Two, Daniel 2.44. The God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. Now notice in this verse, just like Jesus said, I will set up my church. Yeah. This one says, God, God will set up his kingdom, not a man, not yeah. Joseph Smith. Right. He said, it will never be destroyed. Now never means... Never. Okay, it means never. <laughs> Even in the Hebrew, never means never. It will not ever be taken from some people. In this Daniel verse, it says it will not be taken and given to another people. And so um, we, we cannot say that... Um, that there was ever an apostasy. Now all other religions will fail, but not God's church. It will not, God's kingdom, Jesus' church will never, ever, ever fail. It never has and it never will. If polygamy was the new and everlasting covenant, but was removed in 1890 by declaration uh, uh, by Wilford Woodruff and the mantle given to the Mormon fundamentalists, which is what they claim happened, then the verse in Daniel fails 
but God promised it would not be given to another people. This kingdom prophesied in Daniel is not predicting the future Mormon church or the polygamy groups as they claim it does. The Bible is all about Jesus. The kingdom of God is all about Jesus. Not Joseph Smith, not Mormonism, and not polygamy. Uh, Matthew 16, 18, Jesus promised he would set up his church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. So Joseph Smith lied when he accused Christianity of having suffered an apostasy because Jesus didn't lie. Jesus cannot lie. Job 42, 2, we have a great verse on God's power. Uh, it, Job, Job says, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. <laughs> sounds okay. like he was convinced it that God like could do what he wanted to and do. That, and he can. And yeah. he, he can do all things. And if he promised to keep his church together, he did it because he promised. God said he would set up his church. Even hell can't destroy it. And no plan of God can be thwarted. And there was not an apostasy. And in Acts chapter 2, after Jesus ascended back up into heaven, after he was resurrected, Peter preached a powerful sermon and 3,000 people recognized their need for repentance in one day. And they turned to Jesus for forgiveness and his New Testament church came from that and came into existence. It was the beginning of his church that he promised no one could stop and no one could destroy. It would endure, it would never fail, and it has endured for 2,000 plus years according to God's, God's promise. And like I said, God's promises cannot fail. Ephesians 3.21. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages. So we have a question what the word all means. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all ages? All, all ages, meaning, of course, that the church will endure throughout all the ages. No apostasy. No Joseph Smith needed to restore that which was never lost or never existed in the first place. No restoration was needed. So don't accuse us of bashing your church when that's how your church began. We bring God's truths to bear against the bad doctrine that Joseph Smith foisted upon unsuspecting people. Okay, line three, we have Lori from Draper calling. Hello, Lori. Hi, how Hi. are you? Good, thank you. Okay, well, I was wondering what your opinion was and Earl's opinion was with uh, gay marriage being almost in every state now going to be legalized and what you think with the, the, what will the Mormon church do with that? Will you think they'll change their doctrine now that now well, monogamy... Lori, we're not going to go into that because our show is about polygamy. It's not about gay marriage. Our show is based basically on polygamous doctrine, early Mormon or current polygamous doctrine, not what the LDS church might or might not do about something. So I'm really sorry, but we're not going to go into that. Okay. Thank okay, you. Thank you. Okay. We have line one, Charles from Orem. Hello, Charles. Well, hello, Doris. Uh, God bless both you and Earl. I'm oh, so well, hello, to see Charles. Haven't heard from you for a long time. This show. Hi, Charles. <laughs> it's been wonderful the last few weeks to, to see the two of you together. Uh, I wanted to bring up a, a topic that is, is rather current and relevant in both of uh, what you're discussing here, and, and that is this outstanding papyrus that purports to go and show that Jesus was married, where there's a simple line that says Jesus refers to his wife. You, you've both heard of it, correct? 
Well, early Mormons, of course, were very, very famous for portraying Jesus as having been married, and I think that it was what Orson Pratt or Orson Hyde, one of the one of the Orsons, that said that the marriage of Cana was actually Jesus' yeah, wedding. Yeah, it was Orson Hyde. And so this would seem to go ahead and tie into Mormon teachings and, and validate the early Mormon uh, teachers that said that Jesus was married. Mm-hmm. The only thing I wanted to go in and bring out and perhaps pose to both of you was the idea that this piece of papyrus, totally fragmentary, extremely small, today uh, supposedly confirmed as authentic, dates from the 8th century A.D., 700 years after the time of Christ, hmm. at a time when a huge amount of apocryphal works and novels, if you will, were circulating about the life of Jesus with many, many fantastic and totally unscriptural mm-hmm. objects. Mm-hmm. So there are probably many Mormons who today took huge heart from the idea that, oh, this document is now deemed to be authentic, and it refers to Jesus having a wife, and this confirms early Mormon leaders, when in fact it does no such thing. There have (laughs) always been heresies like this around, and speculations and what have you, and I'd like to just turn the time over to the both of you to perhaps comment upon this. And again, I'm so glad to see the two of you doing this together. You've Thank been you. doing a wonderful job. Thank you, Charles. You it's Thanks, been great Charles. to hear you. Thank you very much. And you know, we ha- <clears throat> we have, by the way, this is part one of our show. Next week it's going to be part two because we have many more quotes that we're not going to be able to cover tonight. Yeah. And some of that in- includes the um, unsound doctrine that Jesus was married and that Jesus fathered children. So, Charles, if you don't mind, I think maybe we can wait until we get to that particular part of the show and talk about it. But I'm glad you called in and brought this uh, this papyrus yeah, I'm, I'm in on the with conversation. That. So during the week, I'll look that up a little bit and yeah. see what it says. And maybe add yeah. to it, because we probably won't get into that until next week. But that's a very good point. And again, we have to test everything. That papyrus has been tested, and it isn't the truth. And Jesus didn't come to get married and have no. a family. He came to die for our sins so that we would have a chance um, for eternal life yeah. through him. Yeah. So, okay, we have line two, John calling from Provo. Hello, John. Hello. You're on the air. How you doing? Good. Hi, John. Good. Um, I, I have kind of a question for Earl, but I'm sure both of you can talk to me about it. Um, we've come out of the, the Mormon church, and we've been studying the different... Uh, things and we know that when you're saved by grace through the faith in Christ, I know I know we're saved through the grace of Christ, faith in Christ. So we're saved when we believe. So where does repentance fit into this? Do we repent because we are saved, or do we repent to be saved? Um. When you read John the Baptist and Jesus, they came with the same message, repent because the kingdom of heaven is near. And then you get into the book of Acts when the church first began and the message that Peter and John and, and all of the early apostles gave was repent and be baptized, repent and be saved. So repentance and salvation come together. It's the same process. And then in uh, 2 Corinthians Um, chapter 9, I think it is, it says godly repentance uh, brings godly sorrow, which leads to eternal life, but worldly sorrow brings death. So um, there's the the repentance that you're talking about is, repentance is required for salvation. I mean, it it just is. 
and that means to turn and go God's way from your way. My perspective too is, is that our sins have been paid for. Christ paid for our sins on the cross. Anytime, and we're all sinners, we all fall short of the glory of God. So we're in a continual process of trying to not earn our salvation because Christ has already paid for our sins, but when we sin, we should feel some sorrow mm -hmm. and make an effort to try to do better and to try to live the best lives we can. And that sometimes means, because we are here in the flesh, that we probably, uh, I don't know if we disappoint God, but we certainly aren't always up to His standard. But uh, I think a sense of sorrow and regret and remorse for doing sins, but, but we don't repent to be saved in the sense of the fact that Christ has already paid for our well, sins. Well, and, and it's just like, yeah, it's all the same thing. If, if we yeah. turn to Christ, we turn to Him because He's the Savior, yeah. and we know that we need to be saved. And so repentance automatically, it's just part of the process. Yeah. Well, and have, have the remorse of, of, of falling short, which we all will do. Right. But having that confidence that Christ took care of our sins and clen cleanses us as we stand before God, we are clean. And yeah. I know sometimes that's a hard concept for us former Mormons yeah. to grasp, but uh, grace also, without... Also, when, when we talk to our uh, family members and different people that were out of the church now and say, and they said, well, we believe in Jesus Christ, so, so we're, we must be saved. I mean, so why do I need to change my church? Why do I need to do anything else? I should they be saved need, if they, I believe in Christ. John, the point is someone saved. John, they need to change their Jesus because the Mormon Jesus is not the Jesus of the Bible. The, the, and this is the same with the polygamists. The polygamists and the Mormons all believe in the same Jesus who is not God the Son. Um, he, is, he didn't even fully pay for our sins because you have to work and you have to repent. You have to go through all this funny stuff to get forgiveness in the Mormon religion. And besides that, he's Satan's brother. And that just absolutely is heretical according to the Bible. Jesus is the creator of, of Lucifer. He is not his brother. So they need to change their Jesus uh, or, they'll, or they, they've got the wrong one. Uh, I heard John... Wasn't a Mormon and it's never been with the Mormon Church. If they just say, "Well, I be believe in Jesus Christ," uh, at what point are you saved? Just because you say you believe in Jesus Christ, or what? Well, what the, the, point John, is there being saved? The belief here is not just, "Well, I believe the sun's going to come up tomorrow." This is a faith. This is a a deep trust, an exclusive trust in Him alone to do what He said He will do. In, in, in Genesis 15, 6, it says that Abraham believed God and he credited it to Abraham for righteousness. We have to believe Jesus, what he did, who he is, and that everything that he did was specifically for the personal relationship that person's going to have with him, and then trust him exclusively. And if you try to add works to it, that's not true faith. That means you have some faith in Him and some faith in your works. And that doesn't work. It has to be an exclusive belief, an exclusive trust. Go into the Hebrew, find or not the Hebrew, uh, Greek. Go to a Greek concordance, a lexicon, and find out what that word believe means. 
and it means more than just well, I, you know, and of of intellectual consent. Well, it means a lot more than that. And we hear the devil even believes, or the devils believe that uh, in Jesus as God. Mm -hmm. The other thing I've heard, and I think it was Jason Wallace, if I may quote him, uh, he said that we believe in, the Mormons believe in Christ and Christians believe Christ. It's a subtle little difference, but we believe what Christ said. I'd read a red letter edition of the Bible and read what Jesus said and what he didn't yeah. say. Mm -hmm. And you'd find out that Mormon doctrine is not in those red letter words. Right, it absolutely is not. In fact, they believe yeah. contrary to some of what Jesus said. So they believe well, we're not supposed to be doing works or anything. We're just supposed to believe in Christ. So, so even doing even repentance stuff is that considered works? No, repentance isn't works. Re repentance is an attitude. Yeah, I had some fellow keep telling me that faith was a work. And oh, thought, the, well, yeah. Now they're just picking <laughs> it to pieces. The, the works and rituals and all of that. You know, the, the Mormon Church and polygamy groups are full of all kinds of works and do good and do this and they do that which is made up by their religion to do to get to heaven. That's what works is. And Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, For by grace we are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not by works, so no man can boast. And then verse 10 says, We are saved to do good works. And so we get saved, then we do good works, but good works will never save a soul. We have another call we need to take real quickly. All right, thank you. Thank Thanks, you. John. Okay, line three, D from Murray. Hello, D. Hi. Hi, can you be very quickly? We're at the end of the show, and we need to move fast. Uh, okay, uh, my question is this. Um, uh, Doctrine and Covenants, section 132. Uh-huh. Uh, verse 51, um, where um, um, Joseph is recounting, or this is something that Revelation he's received from God, after God has told him that polygamy is, you know, is... Um, okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It says, A commandment I give to you unto mine handmaiden, Emma Smith, your wife, whom I have given unto you, that she stay herself and partake not of that which I have commanded you to offer unto her. For I did, as saith the Lord, to prove you all as I did Abraham, and that I might require an offering at your hand by covenant and sacrifice. So by having that word not in there where it says, I give a commandment to my handmaiden Emma, that she stay herself and partake not of that which I have commanded you to offer unto her. Could you just explain that? Um, um, what that what that means? Okay, D. I'm going to put. I'm going to disconnect you, and then we're going to answer it very quickly because we're Thank you. at the end. And it's my understanding that it very, might very possibly be uh, William Law. Emma says, "I want to live. I want another husband because you've got other wives." And they talked about William Law perhaps being another husband. And uh, Joseph Smith decided he didn't like that very much, so he put it in the revelation that she can't do that. So that's basically, very quickly, what um, that is probably referring to. So we'll yeah, I don't have anything to add to that <laughs> at this point. So. We'll finish this, part two, next week. We have much more to go in this bad doctrine. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1 says, and I quote, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Now this yoke of slavery is the bondage of a religion that demands works for eternal life. 
In Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, Jesus says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's no works. We can either follow impossible religious rules and regulations in vain to try to earn eternal life or rest in Jesus, trusting Him to take our burden from us and carry us into heaven. Galatians 5.4 tells us that we trust religious rules and rituals. We have become alienated from Christ and have fallen from grace, and that's bad. Romans 11:5 and 6 tells us that it's not works and grace, but grace only. Verse 5, so too at the present time there is a remnant chosen by grace. And if by grace, then it is no longer by works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. Grace and works don't mix. It's 100% grace and 0% works. In fact, works annul grace, and we're not saved by works. And since eternal life is a gift of God's grace, we must throw out religious rules and rituals, repent from trusting in works, and turn to Jesus Christ alone. And if we do that, He will forgive us and He will receive us because He is merciful. Thanks for watching. Good night. This has been the audio podcast edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? This program is a production of A Shield and Refuge Ministry and Main Street Church of Brigham City. You can view current and past video episodes as well as download audio episodes of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance in leaving a polygamous situation, please contact us. We are here to help. All of our contact information can be found at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 877-425-9993. If you have any questions or comments about this or any of our other programs, we'd love to hear from you. Write us at email at whatloveisthis.tv. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again.